Hello, it's Chris Riata here, author of the Polarized series, and welcome to the Independent Premium Events Podcast. In this show, you'll get the chance to listen back to all of the live events that we put on here at the Indy for our premium subscribers. If you aren't subscribed already, click the link in the description and sign up today for access to loads of exclusive articles, including in-depth analysis, long reads, opinion pieces, and of course, my series, Polarized, Voices from Across America. As a subscriber, you can attend events like the one you're about to hear for free and get involved with them as well. So make sure you click the link in this description of this podcast and subscribe to Independent Premium. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the latest Independent Premium virtual event series. My name is Chris Riata, and I'm a U.S. reporter here at The Independent, as well as the author of the weekly series Polarized, Voices from Across America. If you're joining us here on Zoom, there's a link to the, uh, in the chat now for the Polarized series and also to sign up and subscribe for Independent Premium. Uh, if you're listening back to this as a podcast, those links are in the description. Long before the days of Donald Trump, America was deeply polarized. Her fractures felt not just in Washington, but at dinner tables and family gatherings across the country. Growing up in a politically active household, I used to hear my parents have sometimes tense conversations with friends and family over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. They would disagree and sometimes even argue, but they always found common ground and they always had respect for each other. Those conversations were so normal, so typical back then, and they seemed to have all but disappeared, you know, as politics became increasingly polarized and the party seemed to move further away from the middle. And suddenly it felt like we were all pitted against each other in tribes, which is exactly why we launched this, this project and this weekly series at The Independent. You know, I've spent this entire year speaking with Americans in every state across the country, as well as DC and Puerto Rico, to get a better sense of where everyday Americans and voters stand on the burning issues from the coronavirus pandemic to the anti-racism protests sparked by the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I'm joined by my editor, Holly Baxter, the US opinion editor here at The Independent, who I pitched this series to over a year ago. Holly, why don't you kick it off by letting us know, you know why you felt it was important to commission this series uh, and to speak to real voters in every single state ahead of the 2020 elections. Hi everyone. Um, well, moving out here from the UK and starting out the opinion desk in America, I was very conscious that I didn't want to play to the stereotypes about liberals and Trump voters that had been going wild over the few years before I moved here in 2018. Um, the real value of the work we do as journalists is when we shine a light on what others aren't talking about. And um, as a Brit living in America as well, I saw my own country divided by the Brexit referendum in a very similar way. And I wanted to be able to be part of a conversation that became a little more enlightening than stereotypical. The Indy is a global publication. Many people watching today are from outside the US. And we seek to show what it's really like in America, not just to other Americans, but to Brits, Canadians, Indians, Australians, and so on. And that means not confining ourselves to New York City or California or the usual places that people outside of America hear about, although we love those places as well. So I'm really glad to see such a diversity of panelists today. I'll also be keeping an eye on the Q&As in the corner. So if anybody who's watching wants to send in a question for the panel, I'll be looking at those and uh, picking anything that looks particularly insightful. Thanks, Holly. So with less than two weeks before this incredibly important election, I am so excited to have several of these voters who we spoke to for this project with me today. 
Uh, from Missouri, we have Jennifer Lewis Kelly. Uh, when we spoke during the Democratic primary, she said she was a strong supporter of Bernie Sanders, and she also said that Joe Biden had not yet earned her vote. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing good, hanging in there for 2020. <laughs> As we all are, uh, just hanging in. In South Carolina, we have Gavin Kidder, who said he's fed up with mainstream politics when we last spoke. And he also noted that he wasn't planning on voting for Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Gavin, how are you? Uh, well, as so many others, I'm still hanging in there. Uh, still alive last time I checked, so. <laughs> glad to hear you have a pulse. Glad, glad to hear it. Love to see it. Uh, in Connecticut, we have Marie Garofalo, a former Trump supporter who now says she'll be voting for Joe Biden in 2020. Marie, good to see you. How are you? Good to see you. I'm doing well, as well as can be expected, counting the days, counting the days until November 3rd. I cannot believe we have two weeks left. This is just nuts. <laughs> uh, from my home state of New York, we have Caroline Gomez, a progressive who hails from Puerto Rico and supported Bernie Sanders. Caroline, how are you? Hi, everyone. Wepa. I'm good. I'm okay. Bregando, bregando. <laughs> which means Wonderful. dealing with it in Puerto Rican. <laughs> As we all are. Uh, in Nevada, we have Salome Levy, a teenager and first-time voter who supported Elizabeth Warren during the primaries. Salome, good to see you. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Just adjusting to the new college life. And a uh, really unprecedented time to start college in, in Zoom University in the middle of a pandemic. Hope it's going well. <laughs> Uh, on the south side of Chicago, Illinois, we've got Brian Coleman, who supports Joe Biden. Brian, how are you? Hi, I'm doing very good. You know, just keep on keeping on. All we can do. And last, but certainly not least, is Chris Mohan, a new U.S. citizen in Pennsylvania who was considering either Tulsi Gabbard or Bernie Sanders during the primaries when we spoke. Chris, good to see you. How are you? Good to see you. I'm, I'm doing okay, all things considered. <laughs> Surviving. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, I want to start it off with you, Chris. Pennsylvania is seen as one of the most consequential states in any recent presidential election, and certainly this year. Uh, Biden appears to be leading Trump um, in the state by six or seven points, according to the latest polls. But we all know how relying on polls worked for us in 2016, so, which was another exact reason why we wanted to start this project. So let me ask you, Chris. You know, the last time we spoke, you told me that you're not exactly a blue, no matter who type of Democrat. Um, but you also said that you're not going to vote for Trump. Where do you stand now? Uh, same place. I'm, I'm not voting for either Biden or Trump. And the, the, a lot of the conversations I'm having with people are in that similar context. They uh, and the people that are voting for either candidate kind of feel tr uh, trapped into voting for either candidate. Uh, and I'm, I, I think in 2016, I made the big decision of like not to shame people based on who they voted for, but rather talk to them about why they voted for who they voted for. So that's kind of what I'm sticking with uh, this time around. But it, it, it has seemed like this election has uh, somehow like made things worse <laughs> by saying that you're not going to vote blue no matter who. I've, I've gotten a lot of pushback from, uh, from my liberal friends. And it was, I mean, it, it was a really tough decision. And I, I almost got to the point where I just, I just said to hell with it. I'm not gonna, I'm not even going to cast a vote. Uh, you know, I, and I was looking forward to it. Uh, I got my citizenship back in December and I was very much looking forward to it. And uh, once um, 
Tulsi endorsed Biden and uh, Bernie endorsed Biden and basically everything since March, uh, I, and especially after the last debates, I was really considering not voting uh, at all. But I, I made the decision to, to vote for who I feel like would be the best candidate and to have that discussion in private rather than putting it out there publicly because it does seem like uh, it's very difficult to have that conversation on a public forum. Understood. So you don't feel comfortable today sharing who you plan to cast a ballot for, but it will not be Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Is that correct? That That is correct. <laughs> Got it. And can you tell me a little bit about what you've experienced from friends or folks who are, are calling on you to vote for Joe Biden? Why why do why do you think that they're calling on you to, to support him? Um, and then, you know, what exactly about his platform do you are you absolutely not able to get behind? Uh if you look at his record, he doesn't have a progressive record. He has a very Republican record. Um, and the largest movement that we have seen in 2020, other than worker strikes, other than a call for a general strike and a rent strike, is the Black Lives Matter movement that is calling to defund the police and enact a lot of criminal justice reforms. And Joe Biden is responsible for a lot of the criminal justice issues that we see in this country. And he continues to say that he's not going to defund the police. He continues to say that he's not really listening to the people that are uh, talking about these issues and is kind of going down this neoliberal path that he's always been down. So it's very difficult for me to say that I'm going to vote for somebody that doesn't stand for any of the things that I stand for. So when my friends call on me, because to them, the important thing is to get Trump out of office. And to me, I see Trump as another example of a systemic disease, uh, or, or rather a symptom to a, a systemic disease. And my bigger goal is to change the system. And we can change the system by constantly voting for the same thing over and over again. Uh, so when I do, at, when my friends do talk to me about it, the first question I ask them is, Aside from saying that he's not Donald Trump, can you give me any other reason to vote for Joe Biden? And so far, I have not gotten a response. I have faced a lot of vitriol online <laughs> uh, and a lot of anger from, from people. And, and that's kind of when I have to kind of, you know back away from the conversation and say, well, you process what you need to process, but I've made my decision not to vote for either one of these candidates. Got it. Interesting. You know, I, I want to also bring in Gavin Kidder into this conversation. Gavin, when, when we spoke, you also said that you won't be voting for either major party candidate. Have you changed your mind? Uh, not at all. No. Um, I'm still very much, much like Chris. It's, it's a need for, for change that I don't see happening from, um, you know, a return to 2008, uh, as I see it. Um, Going, going with the VP pick from um, the Obama era isn't, isn't really going to, he, he's not asking for anything new that we haven't seen happen again and again and again. And it's, it's not a tried and true method that works because we are where we are. Um, and so, I, and much like Krish, I've, I've also gotten backlash from, um, from Democratic friends and family members who don't understand why I've left the party and um yeah but that's where yeah, I am I, I, 
I want to ask you, you know, in, in 2016, you told me that you, you quote, reluctantly voted for, for Hillary Clinton. I'm, I'm wondering, how come you're not willing to do the same for this year's Democratic nominee in Joe Biden? Well, um, in 2016, we hadn't seen um, what Trump in office was going to be. Uh, and I also didn't think he was going to win. Um, so I thought voting for Hillary Clinton was a safe bet. Four years from then, you know, maybe we could we could change up things. Um, but seeing the last four years, it it feels like an a a shift that's not going to happen, or that's not going to uh, reverse itself, as far as um, especially the conservative um, agenda. Uh, even if Donald Trump is is voted out of office, there will be a new Trump. There will be you know one of his sons will run. Um, Giuliani will make a run. Somebody else who who plays on the same ideas of of Trump that were so successful in winning him in 2016 will 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 run again. And you know, it, it, we've we've had a paradigm shift that isn't going to it's not going to change. Um, you know, in the next four years. So when people tell me that I I have to vote for Joe Biden because this is an important election, I said, well, 2016 was an important election. I voted for Hillary Clinton. I didn't see anything change. And I don't think that, you know, even if we have four years of Joe Biden, that four years from then I'll be able to vote for who I want to vote for. Um, so I'm, I'm tired of being told, you know, this election, we need you uh, to vote blue. But then after that, you're, you're free to do whatever you want because, um, the you know the rich and the powerful aren't going to just sit out an election and say you know what you can have this one you can vote for green party or whoever we'll let you we'll let you win this one um, because it's not in their interest to understood also I had no idea it could possibly get any crazier than it already has in 2016 and 2020 and then you mentioned a possible Giuliani run and now everything I thought I knew has just been thrown out the window. Um, so, so Caroline, I want to take it over to you. You know, as a progressive voter, you were all in for Bernie Sanders and you supported things like universal health care, free college tuition and more. Uh, now you're riding with Biden uh, and you seem to be all in once again. Walk me through what made you decide to support the former vice president after having supported the Vermont senator. Thank you, Chris. Um, Okay, well, I moved to New York from Puerto Rico back in 2016, right before the election. And I grew up learning about America and the possibilities of America through TV and cable TV, you know, right before like the internet had like a big boom and everything became more accessible. So I moved here with a certain preconceived notion about what America was supposed to be, even though that. You know, I did go to the University of Puerto Rico and I did learn so much more about our history and the complicated history that Puerto Rico has with the United States. Um, I came here and everything changed for the election. Everything was thrown out of whack and I just didn't know what was going to happen. And I was very moved by Bernie Sanders' message. I saw that rally that he held in Queens where... Um, you know, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez spoke and just seeing everyone so motivated in to fight for this idea that I think we all were kind of sold growing up here of the American dream to really believe that we could do it. It moved me. 
And I'm going to be honest, I still voted for Bernie in the primaries. <laughs> you know, I was very excited to cast my first American vote for someone that I was so passionate about and believed in. And I was devastated. That was when um, I was reached, I, we did polarize, you know, I was very devastated. But I realized that we have to face the moment right now. And I know that the common emotion is so like fear we're all so afraid right now and so anxious and it doesn't allow us to really engage with each other in discourse because we are protective of those alarms of the fears you know um with the internet and everything we're always just watching and reading headlines that are alarming and scary you know on every side so right now i feel like it's about meeting the moment we are facing a constitutional crisis in this country we are facing an institutional crisis in this country and I think that Joe Biden and his career has proven to me, I feel confident in the fact that he is a man that possesses empathy and compassion. Whereas, you know, our other choice, our alternative, his policies have hurt and traumatized so many communities within the last four years. His administration has really hurt so many Americans and we have you know, this devastating death, death toll from the coronavirus now, um, you know, we are seeing so much racial injustice and so many institutions that we took for granted now that are seem to be kind of falling apart before our eyes. I think that this is about meeting the moment and buying all of us a little bit of a mental health break, a little bit of a moment to, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. How are we going to make these institutions work for all of us then? How can we go back to reconnecting? And I think that Joe Biden, you know, by choosing Senator Harris, um, is really proving to us that not only he can work with one of his harshest critics during the campaign trail too, he can, you know, reach out to her and bring her in and be like, well, I want your voice because then you call, you call, you will call me out. So, you know, I really hope that, you know, we all get together and really vote for empathy and compassion back into politics a little bit, you know? This is real people. We're all real people just trying to live dignified existences. So, yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting. You mentioned empathy and compassion repeatedly. And these are two issues that I hear a lot when, when covering Puerto Rico and, and speaking with folks from the island, especially under Donald Trump, especially given the numerous hurt, uh, hurricanes and earthquakes that have really decimated the island and, and devastated a lot of the community of Americans that live on the island. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, uh, have you seen Puerto Ricans uh, from the island in recent years moving to states like Florida, uh, New York, um, and, and do you have a, a sense of how they feel about the Trump administration, its response to uh, Hurricane Maria and the resulting earthquakes, and sort of whether or not you think that they'll be voting for Joe Biden as well because of these issues? Well, I certainly hope that all the outreach that we've been doing to the community is working. I do know that it's difficult, right? Because Puerto Ricans moved to the United States trying to escape very harrowing conditions, like many of the immigrants that also come here. And, you know, nobody leaves their home and their family unless they really have to fight for a life that is dignified. And, you know, I worry that by moving to the mainland, 
they're working so hard too and trying to get that quality of life and that dream that they don't really think sometimes they don't have the space for it for education and i i worry about the information that um our communities might be consuming too i've heard from a lot of friends that their family members are um really engaging with right-wing networks when they come here to the to the uh, mainland so i think it's about trying to have those conversations from an empathetic perspective and trying to really understand like what is affecting you now that you're here what do you think about um your people that's on the island your family what can we do so i i hope like i do know that joe biden penned this great letter and like the orlando sentinel back in december about puerto rico's situation and you know he seems to really also see the pain that a lot of us are feeling so I trust that this, by rallying behind them, I think that we could help um, bring pro progress for our island, finally. And as a last question on this, before we move on, you know, you're, you're voting for Joe Biden, but you're also in one of the safest blue districts and one of the safest blue states uh, in the entire country. Um, so what kind of a message would you have to someone like a Krish in Pennsylvania or a Gavin in South Carolina where, Polls are actually showing that Joe Biden has a has a shot at actually winning the state, which seems, you know, sort of unprecedented in a way. What would you say to folk, folks like them who who may not be willing to vote for Biden? It's no, no pressure. <laughs> but um, honestly, I think that our vote right now, it is the most immediate tool of checks and balances that we have at our disposal. I think that it is such an important moment really in order to buy all of us some time. You know, I know that you feel deflated. I know that you feel like you're not really being seen. And then when people talk to you, they judge you and they, they try to like almost like bully you into, into believing what they're saying. But it is really about um think about think about everything that you hold dear and think about allowing others to be able to hold things dearly too um buying all of us a moment to really dare to dream about what kind of country we can create again instead of just waking up stressed and scared and feeling nauseous all the time i think that you know for all of our mental health sakes i think that this this just you know, a choice that will, that will save us, <laughs> that will really save so many of our communities. Honestly, it really is almost really life or death at this moment for so many, you know, I, I don't know if you guys saw about all the parents that are missing from the children that they ripped at the border. Like this is a humanitarian crisis, this administration right now. It, this isn't a joke. This isn't, you know, by allowing them, <sighs> By allowing them to continue on on this road, we are really turning our back on so many of the other checks and balances that were fought for by so many others before us. Um, and I don't think that we should take this lightly and eradicate almost that work. I think we should build on it and build back better, actually, <laughs> which is the slogan, but it fits. I get it now. So, <laughs> yeah.
I really appreciate your your candor and your your emotion. Gavin, Chris, do do either of you have a response to that? Uh, if I can go first, if that's cool. Uh, I've never particularly felt safe. <laughs> um, I'm a comedian that talks about politics uh, and a lot of like lefty issues. I don't even consider myself a political comedian. I talk about ideas, but that, but I've never particularly felt safe, but I felt like it was important to go out um, and talk about these big ideas because it was always considered taboo to talk about them. And it, and it always seemed kind of silly to me. Uh, so for the last decade, I've been doing that. And that's never particularly safe. I, I, you know, there were there were certain times where I would definitely be going into very conservative areas and talking about, uh, you know, race and immigration and empathy and uh, the big message of of everything that I say and is everything that I believe in is coming together as a community and working together and not letting our differences separate us, but really valuing our differences and letting our differences kind of push us forward. I don't see either party doing that. And I haven't seen either party doing that for the entire time that I've been in this country. And, and the more I learn about politics, it's been way longer than that. If you, if you look at the history of this country, um, immigration, for example, you know, under Obama, we saw way more deportations. Uh, the reason why those, uh, the, the detention centers exist is because of Obama. ICE was in, uh, put into place under Obama. And people kind of forget about that. So the two-party system has failed me as, as an immigrant and as a new citizen. So I don't feel like voting for the two-party system is going to get us out of that. I do agree that we should be looking at what we've built and move forward. But what we've built isn't because of politicians like Joe Biden or anybody like Donald Trump, right? Billionaires like Donald Trump. It's because of what people on the ground that, that, that have gone out and fought for these rights. You know, we don't really talk about the labor movement and what the working class did in this country, but they did some very important things. And the unfortunate thing is, is that the Democratic Party is just as responsible as the Republican Party to squash things like the labor movement, which is part of the reason why, you know, I, I think electoral politics is important, but it's not the most important thing. I think community initiatives and supporting the people that live around you is important. Um, looking for mutual aids, looking for uh, you know the the like things like food not bombs, and even lower than that is like if your friend needs a ride to work, just give them a ride to work. <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal. It's just how do we support each other on the ground level, and the more we start doing that the more the people at the top will, can't ignore that. If that is normal, if that is the normal thing, then they have to legislate on behalf of that. Because if they go and say, well, everybody's starting to take care of each other and we are not, then you know, the question becomes, why do we need the people at the top? Why do we need this election process? And they have to find a role for that. And they, if they're not going to help you and we are helping each other, that's kind of what's more important. So I'm always for the people. Um, and and I, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But but the point is, the, the, the system has not been particularly kind or helpful. Um, so that's part of the reason why I don't feel like I can vote for, for someone like Joe Biden or Donald Trump.
and you know we we got to move on but i, I want to give you a chance to respond as well gavin if you if you have any any response um yeah i just i first of all i can i can tell i mean you were you were getting uh very very you know impassioned and an emotional and i i respect that a lot um you i don't think that there is a wrong way to feel about this election i don't think that there's a wrong uh direction to go um if you're if if your heart and your head are t- telling you you know this is what you need to do um for for us uh as a people i i don't think that that is anything that i i should be telling you no it's it's you're you're wrong about it um that because i i can't i can't speak especially um i can't speak to the to the issues of immigration i've never i've never lived it i've never experienced it um you know i'm a, I'm a born u.s citizen and uh, i've never had to had to really um fight that that battle um but i think as an idealist um and i always have and and so I get arguments from pragmatists who tell me that, you know, you know, we need to win this fight here so that we can, you know, make incremental steps towards this. Um, but that's, it's never going to, it's never going to sell me. Um, and, and I, and I will always be saying, well, you know, there's this, there's this idea up here and it's, it's what we, what we should be aspiring to. And, um, you know, why, why can't we just, go to it um and, and yeah it, it's not always the it's not always the pragmatic choice it's not always the the uh logical choice but it's it's the choice that i i find myself making and i and i i can't you know i can't fight that in my head or my heart i want to turn things over to marie now who cast a ballot for trump in 2016 and described herself as a indignant trump supporter when uh when we spoke at one point uh, Marie, I, I, just to start, you know, what led you to supporting Donald Trump's presidential bid in the first place back in 20, uh, 2016? Well, um, I get asked that question an awful lot. And I um, honestly, at times, like I told you, I really was almost unsure at first, but I can understand where Chris and Gavin are coming from. I have a son who's probably around your age and I've, I've listened to that, him speak passionately as you both do. Um, and I think I started to feel that politics was just what it was. It's the same old thing. I'm not really as political as most of you seem to be, um, but I always voted. I find that um, voting is um, empowering for all of us as American citizens. So. I had to make a choice. And when I, I couldn't wrap my arms around Hillary Clinton as much as I wanted to as a woman, um, I just felt like it was a talking head to me, you know, it was the same old thing. And so I started to listen to what Donald Trump had to say. And the Make America Great Again logo and when I heard him at his rallies, I mean, right now I can't believe that I actually fell for that, believed it, um, but I really thought he'd bring something new to the table. I thought maybe that it was his rallies were all about um, a little bit of bravado to get elected. 
maybe when he was in office, it would tone down a bit. He'd have all these great people around him. I also believed that maybe he would get these jobs back to the United States that he was talking about, all these factories that were closing. I had this notion that him as a businessman would mean that he would be able to bring business back and get these jobs back to America. So I started to think of this America great again as like almost made in America again, you know? So um, it, it was something that I thought at the time was kind of exciting, um, but that quickly changed. Obviously for me, um, within months that changed and, um, you know, I completely regret that decision for sure. And Marie's story is a really interesting one because it reflects the exact type of voter that Biden would need to lock this up, according to a lot of analysts who say that undecided voters, former Trump supporters turning to Biden, these are the folks who could swing the election in the former vice president's favor. Uh, Marie, you know, when we spoke, you also filled me in on how your family kind of made it a point to keep you in the loop about some of the issues uh, that have occurred under Trump and some of these issues that they almost knew would kind of concern you a bit. Uh, can, can you kind of talk me through how, how your family made it an effort throughout the presidency to keep you engaged and informed and, and how that kind of shaped your thinking about the Trump presidency? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am a mother of four um, children who are very liberal and I have a husband who's a physician and, you know, he's ruled by science. So when I made this decision, I was very open about it and they were all out of their minds. They were, what are you doing? Um, and I didn't feel shame. Then I felt, you know, hey, you know, I can make up my own mind. I, can, I have my own brain. I can do whatever I want to do. But slowly but surely, they, my husband <laughs> would bring home the New York, or the, we would always get the New York Times delivered. And we live in suburbia, you know, but we are new, we were New Yorkers and we always loved getting that New York Times in the driveway. So, and he would open up the paper and he'd say, did you see this? Have you read this article about embryonic stem cell research and how Trump is shutting down all of the scientists and you know, the programs are being eliminated. And then it was the Paris Climate Agreement. I think that was within the first six months of Trump's presidency that that was the beginning for me that I really started to listen and realize that um, I think I took, you know, speaking to Caroline, um, you know, and even to Krish coming as an immigrant, I, I think I took a lot of this for granted, you know, oh yeah, vote, whatever. And I realized I really wasn't listening to the issues or really listening or having the dialogue that we need to have. And, you know, my youngest child um, is a Bernie supporter, was a Bernie supporter. My son was, you know, um, supported Jill Stein. It, so it was a constant noise in my head from them. They would call me up and, did you read this, mom? Did you read that? You know, I hope that you regret what you did, but I never took it I took it as love from them and I took it as a learning experience. Here I am a mother, teach your children well and look at what I did, you know? So here I am voting for someone who I absolutely am appalled at every day. I'm, I feel like what Caroline said, I'm, I wake up like almost frightened for the, this country and, and for my children and their children and my, my community. 
Um, but I started to listen and by listening and having the dialogue, I really, I couldn't turn back. I knew that every article and every um, discussion was important, no matter what it is. And um, it, <laughs> it was that, and then it was women's rights. I, my husband is a gynecologist and um, a champion of women. And when we started to see what was happening with women's reproductive uh, centers across this country, we were terrified. Um, it felt like the 1920s again. My, my grandparents came here from Europe, from, from Italy, and those women suffered and struggled in this country back then to, for their own reproductive, whatever they did behind the scenes. And they fought for themselves quietly and it was dangerous. And we started to see this movement and um, I don't want that to happen to my daughters or to my granddaughters or my nieces, my nephews, uh, their families. I, it's terrifying to me. Um, so the issues of climate and of women um, were front and center for us. And the d total dismissal of, um, you know, the scientific evidence for uh, the environment was astounding to me. I mean, I, you know, what, what more can one say, except is tremendous fear um, surrounding all of this, so. And, and women's reproductive rights was something we definitely talked about when we last spoke, as well as climate change. Um, you mentioned how it kind of, you know, the issue hit close to home with your, your husband being a, a physician. Um, and your mind was already set before this, but I'm interested in hearing, you know, where you stand on the Amy Coney Barrett hearings. Uh, after Donald Trump, you know, nominated uh, the conservative judge uh, to the Supreme Court, his third nomination to the Supreme Court in his four years. Um, well, scared again. Um, I <laughs> handcuffed. Um, it's going to happen. I have a daughter who's 35 years old who called me up and the sound in her voice her, she, her, her, her voice she was trembling from it. Um, and um, I, you know, <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, she's got our heart. I, 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 I'm speechless from it. I think that, um, you know, what more can I say except it's going to happen and you know, we we just have to hope that she interprets the law the way it's supposed to be interpreted. But we all know that she's super conservative, and I I'm afraid I'm really afraid. I want to bring Salome into this conversation, who will be voting for the first time in this election. Salome, when we when we last spoke, you were 18 years old. Have you had any birthdays since then? No, it's actually coming up next month. Oh, okay. So you're still 18. So this will be your still first 18. vote. But let's, let's yeah. just to, to be clear, you supported Elizabeth Warren and you did file, a, you cast a ballot for her during the primaries, correct? Correct. So what attracted you to the Senator's campaign? So I originally voted for Elizabeth Warren because I really was interested by her two cent, two cent wealth tax plan. I really um, liked how she brought it up, and I also liked her oceans plan. 
Um, but then when the primaries happened, when she was falling behind in every state, I realized that she wasn't going to win anytime soon. So um, my support quickly shifted for Bernie Sanders. And then I really liked Bernie Sanders as my second choice because um, he had this whole progressive movement. And I just really like most of his um, beliefs really aligned with mine. And I really um, admired him. So I stuck with him throughout the like since March until he dropped. Um, the day he dropped out, I was really upset about it. But I knew I had to vote this election. I knew um, Joe Biden was my only pick. And um, I have this right to vote. Like my parents are both immigrants. They became citizen and I became a citizen in 2018. They worked really hard to get their citizenship. Um, studying late nights and just spending so many much money to get their citizenship. I knew that I couldn't abuse that right to vote. Like, this is a right to vote. I'm 18, I need to vote in this election. So um, I'm here voting for Joe Biden. And for me, I'm voting for the immigrants in my community. I'm voting for women. I'm voting for Planned Parenthood. I'm voting for LGBTQ plus rights. I'm voting for healthcare. Um, so even though Joe Biden is my last, he was honestly my last pick. Um, he, I didn't even consider him in the primaries. But um, those issues and for climate change, um, I'm voting for those issues. So not necessarily him as a person, but I think it's one step towards progress, even though we might not get what we want overnight or even during the four terms, I think it's more time for us to not go back. Yeah, absolutely. Holly, I'm wondering if you have any questions for a first time voter as, as a Brit. <laughs> oh, as a Brit, I, I, so many. <laughs> But I, actually, I just wanted to um, pose a couple questions um, that I've been seeing coming in from some of the audience, because I think um, it's so interesting to see how they're responding to people. Um, for instance, we have a question from Graham, who says that the rest of the world really noticed a lot of changes after Trump got in that maybe not all Americans were aware of. Um, and he says, um, I'd like Americans to consider the rest of us too when they vote during this election, um, which is quite an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, maybe we want to go to um, Jennifer and Brian who haven't spoken yet. Um, Jennifer, what do you think of that? <clears throat> so my beliefs are a little bit more hardcore than somebody than other people's here and so um i preface this by saying i'm sorry <laughs> that that seems to help a little bit sometimes i understand because i do watch international news and i understand that we have an obligation as citizens <clears throat> because our country is so involved that we have to make the best decision that we can possibly make with our one or two votes so uh, meaning the primary and then the, the general election. But if we continue in our neoliberal ways, when Obama was first even put, before he was even put into office, he got a Nobel Peace Prize and then took our wars from two to seven. That's a problem. That's a big problem. And with somebody like Joe Biden, who's going to basically say, there's not gonna be any change, I'm just gonna to continue to do this. That's a problem. When people are surprised that people from the military industrial complex are supporting Joe Biden, I'm like, why would you be surprised by that? Because Trump 
who is a piece of garbage, don't get me wrong, is trying to take the troops out of Afghanistan and everybody's standing against him on this. We've got kids that are going to Afghanistan when their parents were there when it first started. So to the global citizens, I wanna say as an American citizen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry we're in this boat. I'm sorry that we can't get anything past the same party who's supported by the same donors. I'm sorry. And I don't know what we need to do to get out of 40 years of pushing the right, further right, and the left going to the center and then moving right themselves. I don't know what we can do. So internationally, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's some powerful words, really powerful. Um, and I'm sure a lot of uh, international people will be interested to hear that perspective. Brian, what would you say to the same question? Um, well, uh, let me preface it first by saying I went to school for international relations. So my views might be a more internationalist, uh, generally speaking, but there's, you know, the old phrase that when the United States uh, sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. Um, and I think that's extremely pertinent when we look at how all of our successive actions over the last, let's say, two decades or so have been perceived by a lot of Americans as being anti-American and that they play into a, a sort of conspiracy almost, a, a trap that we are helping the world at the expense of the United States. Uh, I, I think it's important to always balance international relations with your domestic populace, right? You, you shouldn't be so overly zealous that you run to try to solve all the world's problems at the expense of your populace, but you shouldn't ignore the issues of the world because you are of the world, right? I, I think... Personally, my, my grandfather uh, was old enough for World War II. And the lessons learned from then were you can't ignore the world, right? It's, it's there. And when it's doing things, when things are happening, it's important that you get involved because one day, and you don't know how quickly it might come, this will come to your doorstep. And I think the example that Jennifer pointed out of, of Iraq and Afghanistan is very important because it shows the overreach right, of, of recognizing perhaps a problem and then not properly preparing yourself to actually accomplish those ends, if they should be accomplished at all. I'm not saying that we did a good thing there. I personally don't think that. But if there are good things to be done, you have to be able to square the means with the ends, which when Bush became president, I don't think that was there. Um, and it set in motion a, a series of decisions that have baked in consequences, right? Where any next guy is going to be dealing with an institution that he may or may not have, he or she, excuse me, may or may not have put into place that they're going to now have to contend with. So certain choices are no longer very plausible for them, right? And it does take a lot of political capital to change those, those decisions in the future. So I think that to get back to your, your earlier question, yes, we should be aware of the consequences of this election on the world. And I think that any citizen, right, should make this decision for themselves. But to keep this in mind that 
while we have made poor choices, that doesn't mean necessarily that any choice we make in the future will just be a continuance of them. Because I personally watching Joe Biden, he has changed right over his career. I mean, there are certain points where he has made decisions that have been ahead of the curve, especially when it comes to uh, gender equality and trans and gay rights, right, uh, as, as an example. But that, that sort of ability to adapt and to grow, I think is extremely important for any politician and all the great presidents possess this ability to see a problem in themselves and how they look at the world and change accordingly. Donald Trump seems nearly incapable of any sort of self-reflection or change as a human being. Um, if there's a problem that you identify that you want to have change, that is a legitimate concern. What I think is an issue though, is when you believe that by not making a certain decision, by removing yourself from the equation saying, well, it's not gonna get fixed anyway, that that somehow bring you any closer to the, the solution you want. I mean, I get it that it's, it's, it's tough to make these choices, but it was never promised to be easy. I mean, this is, this is real life, it's, it's hard. And I, I do feel sorry again for the rest of the world because they have to watch this, right? As, as, as unwilling spectators to our, our drama. But yeah, I'm you know, I, I want to make sure that we just get in. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I just want to make sure we get in one more question from from the listeners. Um, Holly, I think you've got one for Salome, possibly, right? Yeah, I think this would actually be a really interesting one to pose back to you, Salome. And um, that is from Rob, who has written in to ask about how Biden might work with Republicans if he gets in and has a presidency. And I think for people like you who are progressive and who originally hoped for potentially a more progressive Democratic candidate, it's interesting to kind of look at how um, Biden might also start working across the aisle again. Do you believe that he will be working with Republicans? And are you comfortable with that idea if he becomes president? So that's a really good question. Um, thank you for bringing it up. Um, as of now, I know there were, are several Republicans, um, including Republicans from the Bush administration, who um, endorsed Joe Biden. So he does appeal to many Republican voters. Um, John McCain's wife has endorsed him. There are several well-known Republicans that have endorsed Joe Biden. So um, I think in a way that Joe Biden can work with them, I'm not 100% sure as to how he can do that, but I feel like they will be disagreeing with certain policies. Um, and I also think it depends on Senate elections, you know, um, who is going to be in Senate who's going to be in house. Um, yeah, it really depends on future, like the Senate elections on what's going to happen, but I know it's not going to be 100% perfect. There's definitely going to be um, disagreements between progressives and Joe Biden, and there's going to be a disagreement with Republicans and Joe Biden. You know, I, I want to take it back to you for a moment, Brian. When when we spoke, you you kind of explained how you thought that Biden could usher in this really progressive administration. I mean, we've talked a bit today about how Biden has built this really wide tent while trying to secure the, the White House, uh, going from everyone from uh, Cindy McCain to, you know, uh, folks who supported Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders. Um, 
Can you tell me a little bit about why you think that this, you know, if Joe Biden were to win uh, come early next month, uh, he could usher in, in fact, a, a super progressive presidency? Right. Um, so what I was thinking of generally when I imagined a Biden presidency is something akin to Lyndon Johnson or FDR, um, because most importantly, that's the voices that were once considered out of the mainstream would now have a greater seat at the table. And you, you see that on both sides of the aisle, some have become increasingly skeptical of Republicans like Jeff Flake getting tapped perhaps for cabinet positions. And on the right, you see equal outrage by news reports that perhaps Elizabeth Warren is being tapped by position. Uh, that in itself, I think, is is good because it gets you a sort of melting pot of ideas that you need to actually form well-considered policy. For progressive issues, I think a lot of the discussion has been framed around whether or not they are feasible, right? Can they be done? Um, one of the reasons why I wasn't completely sold on Bernie Sanders' candidacy, although I support a lot of his ideas, is that his political history, right, as a candidate, as a politician, has been a, a fairly luxurious one, uh, rather complacent. He hasn't had to fight a lot of tough battles, specifically because of his, his geographical location, right, in Vermont, where a lot of his policies gain more fertile ground. They, they have a lot of opportunity to be expounded on. But when you're trying to pitch that to a, a general populace, right, and you're trying to get elected in a general election, that's, that's somewhat difficult. Not only that, just working with people across the aisle to get a lot of things passed. I mean, Salome, I think, pointed out a very good point that it really does depend upon congressional elections as well. But even if a lot of these Democrats, say Joe Manchin with Virginia, more conservative, more moderate Democrats remain in, in Congress, they, they may not agree with how Bernie Sanders attempts to like pass his agenda if you were to become president. And then that kind of limits any sort of progress you might have wanted. So if he becomes president and then he's not able to do the things he wanted to do, then what was the point? But I think Joe Biden, from his network, from the kind of stance he's had to take, some more controversial than others, and I'm not trying to defend his entire record, I recognize, for example, that effects from the crime bill, for example, have a negative effect on the black community, right? And he recognizes that. But he's more capable of navigating this often treacherous road of trying to get these large scale, like legislative bills that you need to impact things like climate change across the finish line, which is what we need right now because we don't have a lot of time to fix these problems, right? They're, they are right at our doorstep and we kind of kick the count down the road, but we have to deal with them now. Mm -hmm. You know, Jennifer, um, I, I don't have the same view as everyone else uh, in terms of the Zoom. I can actually see the panelists and I, I noticed that you've been kind of shaking your head and <laughs> on mute saying a few things in the background. What, I mean, we only have a, a minute, but what, you know, what would your response be to some of the things that you've heard? Uh, Joe Biden is a Republican, number one. Number two, that crime bill is a disaster. And he just said recently that he supports it even more. He's proud of it. He's running on it. We're talking about being incapable of change. We don't have a choice. We don't have a choice this time. We just don't. It's heartbreaking. I've got a 10-year-old daughter. 
Joe Biden said that he would he would veto Medicare for all that came across his desk. What are we doing? This has got to stop. I am tired of this. Billionaires are making so much money during this pandemic right now, and we are begging for pennies right now. We've got to change. I we've got to do something. I worked for Cori Bush this past season because I was done after Bernie had left. I said, I'm going to give it one last effort. And I was shocked. I was so shocked. I was happy. I was shocked. And I'm so proud of the little bit of work that I was able to do to help push Corey over that line. But I, I, I'm, I'm afraid that my hero, again, is going to disappoint me and bow down to the powers that be. And they really is not going to be the change that we need. Incremental change is one thing. But what I saw at the presidential debate was one guy who was pro-fracking and the other guy who was more pro-fracking. We can't keep doing this. So who do you plan on voting for, Jennifer? <laughs> yeah, I have my absentee ballot is sitting on the corner of my couch and I put it there three weeks ago and I pass by it every day looking at it four or five or 20 times a day and I still don't know. It's not Trump. And it's not Biden. Biden's campaign actually um, did not allow me to be a delegate. I was a delegate for Missouri and um, was supposed to be a national delegate for Bernie. But um, as, probably because um, <laughs> when they vetted my social media, I had the article, Chris, that you wrote um, pinned to my Twitter. And it was immediately that I was told I was not allowed to be uh, a delegate for national. So, what, I feel you know, like this is partly I'm at fault for this. <laughs> it is not your fault because my understanding um, was people from the Biden campaign took on the responsibility of vetting for the national campaign. And so, well, Biden's people voted against me, so I don't have a choice. Wow. Well, you know, we're running out of time, but I want to quickly go around and ask everyone uh, two fire round questions. Uh, so who are you voting for? Um, so obviously, you know, if you don't care to to tell or you haven't decided yet, which I think is super interesting that we're on a call with seven voters and three folks aren't planning on voting for either of the two major party candidates. Um, if the election were held today, who wins, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, and who are you voting for? So let's kick it off with Caroline. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastically voting for Biden. I am enthusiastically voting for progressive, down, progressives down the ballot. I am voting for my family in Puerto Rico. I'm voting for the immigrants in my life that I love that I am voting for the gay people in my life that I adore. I am voting for a shot at safety a shot of working towards safety you know so yeah <laughs> and who wins in your who do you, if the election were held today really honestly quick. um we'll see how the debate with the mute buttons go but i do think that last week's town hall it was just like watching watching the press and i was like watching a belligerent drunk person so i'm hoping to bite it <laughs> yes marie how about you who are you voting for and who do you think is going to win um, I'm voting for Joe Biden. Um, I'm not really voting for a party. I think that um, 
we have to vote as Americans when we say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. We don't say it to a party. So I'm voting for the person from now on in my life. I will vote for the person. Um, and I'm voting for all the people that Caroline said she's voting for too. And today, I believe that Joe Biden is winning this election. I really do. Yes. Chris, who are you going to vote for? Uh, actually, you said that you don't want to uh, reveal that just yet. Um, maybe, maybe after the election. Who do you think is going to win? Uh, I'm honestly not sure, ba based on what, what I'm seeing around in, in Pennsylvania. I'm, I honestly don't know, but uh, regardless of who wins, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a couple of comedians and I that talk about it, uh, and we say regardless of who wins, the people will lose unless we decide to start supporting each other. Uh, so I have, uh, you know, been supporting both financially and by trying to amplify them uh, in any way possible, uh, various different mutual aids, various different grassroots community driven efforts, um, things like the movement for a people's party, uh, because I would I would like to see the people win instead of rich politicians who uh, pardon my French, don't give a shit about us. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, it's a long road ahead, but I'm hoping that the people will uh, eventually win. Because Salome, how about, how about you? I am voting for Joe Biden. Um, I'm not too sure the, what the results are going to be this election, but if Joe Biden does win, I just want to point out that, you know, it just, life doesn't go back to normal like we can't just say everything's good again um it's never been good you know we need to continue organizing we need to continue um pointing out the injustices in our communities and we need to just continue holding our politicians accountable because joe biden and kamala harris aren't going to be perfect they are going to make mistakes and we have to point that out um we need to continue showing up march protest and yeah i think we need to continue fighting and speaking up for what's right and Brian, who, who are you planning on voting for and who do you think is going to win? Uh, so yeah, so I'm voting for Joe Biden. And I think if the election were hurt today, he'd probably take it. But, you know, I, I thought Hillary was going to win uh, four years ago. So we'll, we'll have to see. But, you know, I, I, I strongly think that this year is, is different in terms of what people know. Well, that's all the time we have for today. It's been such a pleasure catching up with all of you guys and speaking with you. Uh, thank you for sharing your perspectives and opinions with our audience. For everyone watching in the US, please check your voting registration and start creating your voting plans today uh, to ensure that your voice is heard in this upcoming election. We hope you enjoyed what you saw today. Uh, if you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me at Chris Riata on Twitter and Facebook. From all of us here at The Independent, thanks for tuning in and happy voting. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that. Remember, if you want to take part in events like that one and have access to exclusive content, then click the link in the description of this podcast and subscribe to Independent Premium.